From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hi, all, to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America, and hello to you, streaming us live on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. By the way, we are live streaming audio on the Strange Planet YouTube channel, just audio, no video. I'm not entirely enamored with my new haircut, so it's not quite ready for public consumption. But you know, the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is about two weeks. So hopefully in a couple weeks, we will um, bring back the video streaming on the live YouTube stream. All right. We lost the grandfather of ufology earlier this year. Stanton Friedman was tireless in his pursuit of the truth regarding the UFO ET issue. And when he passed... As you can well imagine, he left behind 50 years worth of files. And another great and tireless UFO researcher, Grant Cameron, has been given access to those files. Grant became involved in ufology in 1975 with personal sightings of an object which locally became known as Charlie Red Star. The sightings occurred in uh, Carmen, Manitoba, and in the past few years... Grant has turned his research interests to the involvement and actions of the President of the United States in the UFO issue. He's made uh, dozens and dozens of trips to the National Archives and most of the various presidential archives looking for presidential UFO material. And now, now of course, uh, he is scouring the files of Stanton Friedman. Grant, Cameron, welcome back. How are you? Good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. We're also joined in studio by a good friend of the program, yet another tireless UFO researcher. Victor Vigiani is director of the Zealand News Network. His research and analysis of anomalous and aerial phenomenon spans over three decades. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations and journalism in the field of ET disclosure issues. Victor, welcome. Great to be back with you, and uh, hi, Grant. Hi, Victor. Let's talk about, I'm guessing that these files are housed in Stanton's old home. Is that correct? Well, what happened was, um, before Stan died, he he'd had a heart attack a little while back. So he had decided to retire, so he went on this one-year thing where he's doing the retirement speeches and whatever. But he started to move his file. He got an offer from the New Brunswick Provincial Archives to house his files. So he actually had 61 years of files, and so they started to collect the files from his house before he actually died. And um, he had the, according to the archivist Joanna, Joanna who's there in charge of the collection, uh, the entire basement was his collection. So he had three rooms there, uh, just uh, piles and piles and piles of stuff. In fact, um, there was, um, when I was there, there was, um, on the Thursday, there was a, um, a pallet that came in, a complete pallet full of boxes. And she said, uh, she took me for a tour and I saw this pallet that had just come in, about 40 big archives boxes on it. And she said, the collection is 15 times that, plus they're picking up the computer. So the computer's got files from the last couple of years. 
but just massive, massive collection of files. So they started to move the files, and what they um, discovered was that Stan only had very, very few files that were actually in in filing cabinets. Majority of his files, and I don't know how he ever kept track of stuff, was basically stacks of material as high as a person, and stacks of material were all over the place and and stuff. And so they asked him, "Well, Stan, like, why why did not you know file folders and stuff?" He said, "I don't know, secretary, you know." <laughs> so, so it's just massive collection. Now she told me two years they have. Um, three archives working full time, and they have um, two interns that work on it. And uh, CBC actually did an article last Monday in in the, and they actually went down and interviewed these um, the two interns that are working on the collection. And she told me two years. She told another researcher ten years. Now she may have just been joking, but what you got to realize is the majority of what Stan had is not in files. So it's these big stacks of paper. And so they just put these stacks of paper in boxes and they moved them to the archives. They only basically got his computer, I think, about four days ago. So uh, that's the last of the material. They've been moving the material for months and months and months because it's just massive amounts of stuff that has been moved in trucks and stuff like that. Don't you find it so, interesting, Grant and Victor, that the, pro- the province would allocate resources, taxpayer money, to archive... The, the documents owned by a ufologist when sort of the official, uh, the, the official pr- uh, view of ufology is it's pseudoscience and it's nonsense. And yet here they are spending tax dollar money to, uh, to archive this material. Yeah. And then they are spending a pile of money. So you look at three, ar- three archives full time for two years. That's the six figures. I mean, that's a huge amount of money. Uh, she actually told me the, the process was the, they actually had, I don't know what kind of backlash against this, but um, a provincial archives, if you know how, how what they do, I mean, they just basically have, like, all the death records, all the birth records, all the church records, all the records of, uh, you know, people selling properties and stuff like that. This is not something they touch ever. I mean, it's just completely and they said not only that but stan was not he was an american he was his wife was from new brunswick but so she had to this joanna who basically brought the collection in as in charge of it had to convince the archives to bring in a collection from a guy who wasn't even from new brunswick and and a collection that had not not no no um sort of background in it at all so you basically have these researchers who have don't know uh, you know a UFO from a, you know, a table. They have no idea what they're doing. And so when I was there, I actually provided them uh, with a list of uh, topics, like things that Stan was into, like MJ-12, uh, Roswell, all these different topics that you just file that under, and all the various names. Now, some of the names I brought up, I said, like, you know, Phil Klass. She said, yeah, that one we know already, because they were finding all these, these letters from, from Phil Klass, the big uh, skeptic. So they have to learn this whole thing, and the archivist Joanna, who's in charge, and I think she's been doing it for 25 years or whatever, she said in order to do one box, and she's been, done this for decades, it takes her four hours, and she said every piece of paper will be handled between five and six times by people before it actually makes it into a, a proper file. So this is a massive job. They have no idea what UFOs are about, um, and I guess they just wanted to save this massive collection um, from uh, destruction and uh, are, are doing this massive job, uh, spending a huge amount of money. So 
So I give them uh, great credit that um, that they went ahead with this because it's not the kind of stuff a provincial archives actually handles. You would have thought the the, the university library would do it, but uh, no, it's the provincial archives. I think it's really interesting that Richard brings up that point about public uh, funds being allocated to uh, to archive Stanton's material. I never really thought about that angle because if you if you think about it for a second, Grant, if uh, taxpayers' dollars are being allocated to uh, to kind of archive these materials, you might think that that could become an issue, especially with respect to you know tax dollars being used and you know things like MJ12 being mentioned or the fact that Stan was investigating investigated by the FBI and that he was uh, you know involved in different international aspects of the UFO issue i find that an extremely uh, pointed uh, I guess, set of circumstances that could really evolve into some sort of uh, disclosure. And I, and I might also add that at one point, and I recall this, uh, even at, either as I was getting into the UFO issue in the uh, in the late 70s and, and, and early 80s, uh, the program as it happens on, on CBC with Barbara Frum uh, did interview Stanton several times. Uh, I remember not just one interview, it was not just a one-off kind of thing. So it's interesting that not only does the uh, Provincial Archive, but CBC also uh, took it upon themselves years and years back to interview Stanton Friedman with respect to the UFO issue. Yeah, he's a pretty uh, big name in in, uh, Fredericton because it's actually a pretty small place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's got part of it. But she's getting a lot of um, reaction. She's got some major media talking to her, and this archives um, could actually become famous based on what they've done, because she's, I think, coast-to-coast. Coast. She's going to be on coast-to-coast, coast and, and here's this, and, and I think the woman that's running it is the head of archives in Canada. They have a board for archives all across the country. I think she's the, the chairman of the of the thing, so she's a lot of, not just a small researcher, but she did tell me that she had to do some selling in order to get this uh, collection accepted. What what kind of documents are there? Just a lot of handwritten notes. Are there are there official declassified documents? What, what do we? What is in this collection? Well, as Victor would know, uh, Stan was an old 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 school guy. I mean, I, he was the last guy doing presentations that went to PowerPoint. He said, "No, I'm not going to do a computer. I'm not having anything to do with this. I need my slide projector." And so everybody would be doing PowerPoint. Stan was still be doing. Um, uh, his slides, and he did overhead slides. You find some of the stuff in the archives, but he was a, so he was an old school guy. So a lot of the stuff is still in paper form, whereas my vast majority of researchers today it's, they really don't work with paper. And so you got to remember, all this stuff is collected by snail mail with exchanging stuff. So he has a lot of um, um, a lot of FOIA material. He went after the CIA for their material. He went after NSA. Uh, through FOIA, and he was very famous for the, the procedure they now use is to white out documents. That's because the NSA, he got the big fight with the NSA where they they uh, sort of blacked out huge portions of the, the documents. So Stan would go around for years and show the thing, and, well, there's no UFO cover-up, take a look at this. And he would show page after page, it's all blacked out. So they actually changed the policy, and I think because of Stan, and now they use whiteout, which which doesn't look quite as bad with parts of the document missing. So he had that kind of stuff, but a lot of his stuff was um, like the research on Roswell, which he was basically famous for finding the main three witnesses for the Roswell crash 
that became the what was called the Roswell Incident in 1980, his famous book that sold a million copies and made Roswell a, a, a household name. Before 1980, nobody knew what Roswell was. So Stan got that. So he a lot of the documents is, is that kind of stuff. It's fighting with skeptics. He took on uh, Phil Klaus. He took on uh, Oberg. He took on uh, um, Sagan. The great Randy, anybody that he that wanted to go, and he, so a lot of this was his correspondence going back and forth, and um, so really nothing in terms of um, um, like stuff that we wouldn't have seen. I knew basically what he had. There was a couple of surprises that that he had, like he would have to get material, and I actually told the archivist to start saving this material because he got a piece of metal. And, of course, they didn't realize. I said, you have to put this under lock and key. I mean, you cannot let people just touch this thing. Somebody's going to walk off of this piece of metal. that Somebody claimed it was a piece of the Roswell crash. And uh, Stan, I guess, in, in having so much material, that so much material came to him from people, and that's what a large, large part of the collection is. It's fan mail, people sending him, I was at your lecture, I had this UFO sighting, and a lot of the collection is that. So he would get, but he got pieces of metal, and he got this photograph, which um, I've been circulating on the Internet, which has gotten a lot of, um, uh, from Aurelio, Ontario, south, south of Aurelio, where there's a, uh, a, a cameraman from one of the TV stations actually photographs these cows in this field, and there's seven UFOs. This is a daylight photograph, and pretty clear UFOs when you blow this thing up. There's these seven UFOs over top of these cows from 1982, and they sent it to Stan in 1984, so in terms of the material I've seen, uh, they've only started to to do the collection. Like they said, it's going to be at least a couple of years till they get it. But some of the stuff is popping up where people send him photographs, and Stan would just put it in a file, and you know he didn't have time to really do anything with it, and really didn't investigate a lot of this stuff. But uh, you find these weird little uh, letters that people sent, and that's basically what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that uh, I know in my own collection that you have something. It's a fantastic story, but you don't have time to do it. Or somebody says, swears you to secrecy, and you put it in there, and you say, well, you know, when this guy dies, I'll release the story. And this stuff collects in, in files, and um, it usually becomes exposed when somebody dies. So you go in there, and you find stuff that that uh, Stan never made public. Well, I think probably uh, in, in a lot of ways what you're referring to, the level of or the category of information that might uh, be what you were, you know, sort of implicitly talking about, Grant, is, is the smoking gun would be the, the Wilbert Smith document. I, I find that, uh, and many people, and even yourself, uh, have referred to that particular document and the work by Wilbert Smith and Stanton dealing with that whole uh, two or three page memo. Uh, that has to be one of the things that, you know, looking back, will come about uh, vindicating just about everything that Stanton Friedman did. Yeah, and there's one I actually just put up on Facebook tonight that um, that we had, and and Stan was actually part of that that movement in 1978. He was putting pressure along with a guy named um, Arthur Bray from uh, from Ottawa, and a guy by he actually changed his name to Mr. X from Hamilton, and they were putting great pressure on the Canadian government to release the material, and that's when the top secret memo came out. But the other document which I put on the internet today is a document from 1967. Uh, I believe it was National Research Council, and that's where they talk about the fact that um, the confidential parts of, of Project Magnet, and that's where the top secret memo came from, where the Americans tell the Canadians uh, it's uh, uh, UFOs, ex- flying saucers exist, it's the most highly classified subject in the United States, 
There's a small group headed by Dr. Vandervar Bush who are trying to figure out what's going on. So that came out in 78, but there's a document that in, from 67 where they say uh, at no time is this to be made. There's the, the confidential parts of Project Magnet. At no time are they to be released to the public. And then at the end it says, and these documents are not to be destroyed until the subject cools off. So that was one of the documents that Stan found as well. It was in that, that uh, collection. And the weird thing about it was I, I had always looked for a copy, a clean copy, because I didn't have a clean copy of the document. And Stan would always talk about it. He must have talked about that top-secret memo, because it's the only real top-secret UFO memo in the world. And there, there are none in the United States. This is the only one. So Stan would talk about it, but he never show it. And the reason he didn't show it is because it wasn't in a file. I found it in one of these piles of paper. And it was just bizarre that the, this very famous document uh, was stacked away in a, in a pile of paper. Are we not nervous that this is now, this document, for example, is now in the hands of a provincial government? Well, we always had the document. Most of the, the top, because what happened was um, they were putting pressure on the government in, in uh, it was the Department of Transport files. So they declassified it, and they just didn't look. When when they declassified it, they, they should have destroyed this top-secret document. So there was, uh, was the Project Magnet uh, files, which was maybe, I don't know, 2,000 pages or something like that. And it was just these two documents that were in there that were just explosive. Where the, you know, they had declassified it, and, and I guess the archivists really didn't realize that this was you know, this, is, this controversial stuff. And yet... Over the years, we've had this document since 1978, and we've circulated it, and most people just look the other way. They don't realize that Canadians have the most uh, powerful UFO document around, and, and I've got copies. I just have a clean copy, because I had one that where somebody put on the top of the document, sent to Stanton Stan Friedman, and I wanted a clean copy that I could show without this, you know, shown to Stanton Friedman, and Stan was the guy that basically exposed it in 78, so it's been around, but it hasn't really got the attention that you would think a document that says flying saucers are for real. Wilbur Smith went down to the United States and what he went through the Canadian Embassy, and he said, um, you know, I made discreet inquiries through the Canadian Embassy in Washington, and I was told the following things by American officials. So this is a three-page document that basically says uh, the whole deal, the whole thing's for real. This was written in November of 1950, and it was declassified in 1978, and. For some reason, the Canadian government let it out, and it's been around. But that was one of the documents I was looking for. And the other thing I was looking for was a, a, a story about a Cuban um, a, um, a fighter jet from 1967 that I knew Stan had been involved in. I did find that file. That was in a filing. And that was that um, they, uh, the Cubans picked up a UFO coming in into Cuban airspace, and they scrambled two uh, MiG-21 jets. And it was picked up by the NSA. And Stanford got a, a source that had told him about this. And I've got the document. I saw the document, who the source was, and stuff like that. And it became very controversial because the National Enquirer filed an FOIA. The, the, the NSA said, you know, we're not going to talk about this. You know, we just rejected it. And uh, they gave it to a researcher. And the researcher went to the NSA and said, if you don't give us what we want, I'm going to phone the, the Cuban embassy. The FBI showed up at his door this same afternoon and so Stan got into the sort of controversy about this, this, uh, source that he had, this story. And what happens is the, there's a naval facility in Florida that's monitoring this whole communication. And the, the thing is coming in, the Cubans scramble these two jets and they ask it to identify itself and it doesn't identify itself. And they lock onto the thing and, um, they, they, um, they arm the, the missile 
and they lock on, and they're about to shoot, and the, the, you, they, they pick up the communication from the back guy. The front plane just disappears, just vaporizes, just gone. And the, they, so the NSA picks up the back guy screaming and yelling, the plane's gone, the plane's gone, it's disappeared, it's, it's, you know, it's disintegrated. And uh, this is all picked up by NSA. And uh, Stan was in the middle of this big case, and this was 1977 or something like that, when, when they picked up this story, happened in 1967 over Cuba. All right, uh, Grant, stay put. This is amazing, amazing stuff that you're uh, unearthing, excavating, uh, really, layer by layer, decade by decade. The uh, the personal files and uh, UFO documents belonging to the late Stanton Friedman. And we'll be back, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network in studio. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a reminder, get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca. Strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to this program, The Conspiracy Show, my podcast, the YouTube channel, the Strange Planet shop. Everything is all right there. Strangeplanet.ca. It's really a landing page and all the the buttons uh, sort of are at the bottom and you click on those and off you go and madly in all directions. But um, when you get on there, if you're getting on there for the first time, please take a moment and just register at the website. It'll take you two minutes. Just type in your email address. And what that will allow you to do is receive for free my newsletter, which is coming out. We're launching it this month. I'm really excited about this. Uh, the design looks fantastic. I'm working with an artist illustrator down in Arizona. If you've been to the website, you will have seen some of his handiwork there, not only at Strange Planet, but when you click on the Conspiracy Show button, there's some kind of interesting cartoon caricatures of yours truly tracking Bigfoot and aliens and the Illuminati and all that. That's his work, and he's designed, that's Rick Forgus from Atomic Werewolf Studios, and he's designed the newsletter. It's called Inner Sanctum, and uh, we're launching just in a few days, actually, so get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca, register your email and you'll receive the newsletter for free. And also you'll qualify for a monthly draw for some cool Strange Planet gear, T-shirts, mugs, uh, phone cases, all that. Strangeplanet.ca. All right, Grant Cameron stays with us, and he has access to the late Stanton Friedman's files. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network joins us in studio. Victor, yep. what is the importance, do you think, of this file? And, and are you concerned that it's in provincial hands? Actually, in a way, it's just the opposite. I am uh, happy to hear about it. I'm concerned in one way that they may have access to, you know, to repressing the information and maybe subtly hinting that, that Grant may curtail his activity. But in another way, now that it's in the public domain, I'm kind of pleased that it is because it does open a door, believe it or not. I'm glad, I'm really glad you raised the issue because it could open a door uh, with respect to disclosure with the government being involved in this kind of accumulation or at least how Using this information and giving it tacit or implicit credibility. And why would they do it if it wasn't in some way uh, credibility? And if the government gives the UFO 
issue or documents relating to the UFO issue, some sort of credibility by archiving it, that I think is a very instructive piece of information for the general public and the media. I think the media can really play a, a large role in picking up that just the point that you make. I think it's an excellent point. All right, Grant, you were talking about the, the 67 Cuban UFO case. 67 was such a hot year for UFOs. Anything in there you've uncovered regarding Shag Harbor? Because this month marks the anniversary of that UFO incident on the East Coast. Have you come across any any Shag Harbor UFO documents from Stanton's collection? Yeah, there was a big uh, collection correspondence with Styles and people like that who were involved. I don't know if there's anything new. The problem was that it's a massive collection, so basically what I did is for 42 hours I stood in a spot and I just looked at the file and I said, okay, that looks interesting, open the file up, click, 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 as fast as I can shoot the camera. Uh, I didn't read anything. I took 6,000 photographs in the five and a half days I was there, and I haven't gone through probably 90% of it. I haven't read the, the material, uh, and I have, you get to flip all the images and stuff like that. So it, I did photograph a lot of that stuff from the from the Shag Harbor. I don't know if there's going to be anything into it. So any of the major crashes, like the Roswell and the Shag Harbor, any major story, Stan, like the alien autopsy, Stan would have had a file cause, because he was such a prominent researcher he would get questions about all this sort of stuff. In fact, there's like a, the Area 51. The collection there is probably, I'm seeing maybe 500 pages of material he had on Area 51. So he had uh, like Bob Lazar's court records. He had the big uh, operation where Bob Lazar teams up with Bob Bigelow, the billionaire, to form this company. He had the company papers. He had literally everything. He had 100, maybe 100 pages of correspondence with George Knapp, who was the main reporter on the Area 51 story, and Knapp, Knapp was trying to convince him that he believed the story was real, and Stan did never believe the story. So this correspondence was going back and forth. It was just fascinating stuff. So almost any major story that you have, there's going to be a huge section of files in Stan's files, people writing to him about it or asking him questions about it. And Stan tried to keep up with all, all the material. So everything's going to have a big file, no matter what the story is. When you think about it, Grant, I think it was back in 2009 that I, I discovered the Library and Archives Canada a website with the 9,500 files that yep. they have digitally done. Now, they, they'd been there for a long, long time, but no one paid attention to them, and I forget exactly how I tripped over it, but with 9,500 files in their archives, Library and Archives Canada, Stanton must have 90,000 files. <laughs> oh, oh, it'd be more than that. More than that. It's like it's 15 talents plus the computer. Like, there was nothing I looked at. Most of the stuff I was looking at was back in the 1980s. All the stuff in the last 10 years is going to be on his computer. So it's going to be hundreds of thousands of pages of material mm. that he has. The one drawback, and that's I always tell people, because we always have this conversation, I have a pretty big collection, and well, I always ask people, what are you going to do with your files? Because my kid, it's always a story, my kid's not interested, he's going to throw it out, he has no interest in the thing. So I always talk and I always ask Linda Howe and I ask all these people. I know Jack Ballet's collection is going to Rice University, some of these big collections. And the problem is that nobody probably will ever, like somebody would say, oh, I want it to go to University of Denver. I don't want it to go here or whatever. I said, send it to Sweden. There's a, a place that has 300 UFO and spiritualist collections. And he said, no, I don't want it. I want it to go to this university. I said, do you realize nobody's ever going to look at a collection? Because uh, how many people travel to archives? I've been to 35 different trips to 25 different archives, but nobody goes to archives. So she said, I talked to her about putting it online. She said, 
No, this is this is a premature archives. There's no interest whatsoever. Uh, we're not set up to put this online. This is not our main uh, thing. So she said, anybody wants to see it has to come here. And the other the weird thing that I discovered when I was there, and this is going to be pretty interesting, is that it appeared Stan taped a lot of his phone calls. And there will be phone calls where he had audio tapes. Now, they're going to create all this material. And she even showed me some tapes in one box. And she had, they had Merv Griffin interview in the 1960s on video. Stan collected all this material. So they're going to transpose it, turn it into digital material. But you've got to go to the archives to see it. Now, they've made some arrangement. I said, well, I can probably get some of this stuff out. And I've talked to Greenwald about maybe finding some way to get this stuff online. But it's a, it's a big job, and it was a $1,500 trip, and I've got to go back every six months probably for a couple of years to gather this material because it's not going to be put online. This is not their job. They're just going to put it in files and transpose the stuff. It's just, anybody wants to see it, it's going to have to come to the archives, so it may be a little tourist thing, but most people won't. If, if, they, if they can't right-click research on a computer, they're just not interested. What a shame. Was any consideration given to donating this to the Roswell Museum? I mean, there could be a Stanton Friedman wing of the Roswell Museum, and all of this stuff, the letters and everything, could be displayed so prominently. Well, that's that's the problem. I've been at the Roswell Museum. I mean, I've been there to their thing, and there's most people don't even know they have a collection in the back. It's a vault in the back. It's controlled uh, temperature, the same as this one. And uh, I'll guarantee you there's maybe, I don't know what, 200,000 people go through there a year. I'll bet you there aren't 15 people who go through the archive, the, the stuff in the back, because it's, it's just very time-consuming to, to put all this material together. Uh, and that's the thing. Is most people really won't go across the street to an archives to, because you have to. You gotta. You gotta know how to do it. You've got to pull the uh, one box at a time. You gotta. You can't have a pen. There's all these different rules, and most people just say put it online as if you know it's it's some free job that someone's gonna, you know, take you know five years of their life to put it online so they don't have to to go. Most people don't go to archives, and that's what I said. Like I went, Stan went. I can only think of maybe two or three people who go go to archives to look at this material because it's very expensive and it's it's very time consuming to go to these these major collections so a lot of them don't don't really get seen by anybody so you're going to be going through this you're going to be going back and forth to Fredericton over the next yeah. uh, little while Okay, so you're doing that, and whatever that process might be, however involved it is, you sit down, you page through this stuff. What's going to happen, Grant, if you come across something uh, that's absolutely gobsmacking, that just, holy smoke, this is it, folks? Um, what's going to happen then? <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying well, to guess. Well, it happened. It would happen. I, I got contacted. I'm actually going to Laughlin. This time last year when I was in Laughlin, that's what happened. I got approached by... James Rigney from Australia, and he said, I got this thing in the middle of the night. I said, I got to show you this document, and he showed me the famous Wilson Leak document mm-hmm. and the alien autopsy document, which came from the, the Edgar Mitchell file. And that's what happened to Edgar Mitchell. That Edgar Mitchell's family was not interested in the files, and there was somebody from Australia who happened to be there, was close friends with the family, and said, Don't throw this stuff out, I'll take it. And he took it, and then a researcher saw a part of that stuff that he had and saw this dramatic document about the, the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff trying to figure out what's going on and was blocked and was going to lose two stars and be demoted if he kept pushing the UFO issue. And he realized that they had the back engineering stuff and it wasn't getting anywhere and all this kind of stuff. So that's what happened. And there were other materials from that 
and uh, but I don't control it. From the the Edgar Mitchell collection, uh, I, I leaked the third one, which was a letter from Bigelow to Edgar Mitchell, inviting him to these meetings, and the fact that they're working on medals since 1995. And then there was a fourth one for, that Edgar Mitchell sent to a very famous person who had died, and he sent it to his wife. And I was not allowed to release that because it was too confidential. So there are other documents. Uh, there were, I heard there were six boxes of material. So that's the thing, I, and because he controlled it, I would have dropped the whole thing. But if there's something dramatic, and I put some pretty dramatic stuff on the internet, I'm, on my presidential UFO Facebook site, I put maybe one or two documents on there every day. And there's pretty dramatic stuff that I put right. the I put I put the report on the Cuban thing on there. Uh, I have no reservation. I won't hold anything back. I'll if it's interesting, I'll stick it up on okay. Facebook. Okay, Grant, we've got to break away here. We'll come back. Uh, one short segment remains. Grant Cameron, Victor Vigiani, the Stanton Friedman Files. Stay tuned. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Grant Cameron, presidentialufo.com, and Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network, and we're talking about the Stanton Friedman files. And uh, Grant Cameron has access to those files, and he's sort of releasing some of those files online. It's the Presidential UFO Facebook page, Grant? Yes. All right. You mentioned Robert Bigelow. I'd be interested in the correspondence between those two. Of course, we had Bigelow's big announcement on 60 Minutes on CBS a few years ago, his involvement in Academy to the Stars. Have you seen, or maybe even just personally, Stanton told you, what were his thoughts on Bigelow and what the Academy to the Stars is doing? Okay, that again, that's going to be on the computer because that's very recent material. It won't be in the paper material. What I did find, and this is from about 1990. Stan was working at one point on a project for Bob Bigelow. It sounded like he was doing interviews with some high-level people in Washington, military people, and he said, I have to send a report to Bigelow. But a lot of this stuff is sort of coming out. I just posted on my White House UFO Facebook all the material Jacques Vallée has just dropped a bomb. He's just dropped two books, and he talks about what was going on in behind Bigelow in, in, in the um, 1995 when it started, how it was all leaking and stuff. There's a lot of material out there. It's just people don't really have access to the material, and it's just so overwhelming. Like I was mentioning the fact that I've got these 6,000 pages, and I'm trying to figure out how to put this stuff up. I've also got the whole collection for Senator Barry Goldwater, that's 180 pages of UFO stuff where he was corresponding with people. I was contacted with another collection from a guy by the name of Frank Rand, who people wouldn't even know. Frank Rand was in charge of an eyes-only presidential study for President Johnson, and he was writing a manuscript when he died. And so this whole manuscript is, I've got one-third of it now, on how this eyes-only study was done, who was involved in it, what they discovered. There's a lot of this stuff floating around. It's just you don't have enough time in the day to do this kind of stuff. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Bigelow stuff because uh, Stan was very conscious of money. He had to do full-time. So a lot of these people gravitated to Bigelow in terms of getting funded. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be some stuff, but that'll all be on the computer because Stan's computer crashed, and they managed to get someone to recover the hard drive. And I think it was only last week that they moved the computer to the archives and so once I've got that ready, then I'll make another trip down there to look at that and to look at this audiovisual stuff that they're transposing. 
it seems to me that the history of this man, he seems to represent sort of a magnet of some kind. He, he just had a way of drawing people to him and individuals who would come forward to talk about certain things that ordinarily they wouldn't do. They either learned to trust Stanton or, or developed some sort of relationship with him. What would you imagine, how deep might this go in terms of who Stanton drew towards him and who might you expect I know that's speculation. Who might you expect to find in those files to say, once again, oh my goodness, so-and-so was a governor of a state or some international figure. You find something that's really, really a, a bombshell, how he that, was a magnet. That's magic. the kind of stuff I'm looking for. That's yeah. the kind of stuff you, you figure. There was one from Buzz Aldrin, which I don't know if I've put up yet. There was a letter from Buzz Aldrin. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who would, as you pointed out, Dan was the big guy, so you put it to him. And you know the FBI files, all these FBI files right. that came out on Stan. And the reason I was going to look at the FBI files is Stan had told me and Bill Moore was the same thing. They worked together that both their FBI files had been totally withheld in 1988. So Bill Moore had like 55 pages withheld secret national security. So you're going like, there's something here. Right. If they're withholding the entire FBI file. And when the FBI stuff came out, I posted it. And I was contacted by Richard Doty, and Richard Doty said all this stuff that's been pulled out, because Stan's file is basically half gone, like, I mean, they've exempted all this material. He said that Stan was contacted by a guy with some top-secret documents, and the FBI was considering arresting him, and they just figured they didn't have enough evidence. But that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. I haven't found anything really, really dramatic yet, but that was one story that Richard Doty tells, is that Stan was approached. So when are you heading back? Well, I'm waiting for, if they get the audiovisual stuff, I'll go back, and if they get the, the computer, because the computer should be able to open up tens of thousands of pages immediately. So it, hopefully not in the winter, but I maybe by February I'll go back there, and unless there's a big pile of material that comes out, that's basically what it comes is There's enough work for me for a week and a half where I can stand there and photograph stuff. I'll go back again, but right now I'm just working on the 6,000 pages I've got right now. Great work, Grant. And again, where can people go to see what you're releasing from his files, the Facebook page? The Facebook page is the Presidential UFO, and I'm doing some PowerPoint presentations where I go through the documents and I explain what the documents are about. And I've got about six of them ready to go, and that's going to be on White House UFO YouTube channel. Excellent. Grant, thank you for all your hard work. We appreciate it. Thank you. Grant Cameron. Victor, thank you, my friend. You're most welcome. All right, well, we'll we'll keep in touch, and we'll uh, we'll go to that Facebook page and uh, and see what he finds as he sifts through Stanton Friedman's voluminous files. When we come back, the co-hosts of Reverse Speech Radio, including the founder, discoverer of Reverse Speech, Christian Dicadieu, and uh, David John Oates, to tell us about a uh, free Reverse Speech event coming up this month, this week, in fact. Stay tuned. sky. Ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, the end of this week, Saturday, October the 26th, mark this down, Saturday, October 26th, here in Toronto, if you're in the greater Toronto area. Heck, if you're anywhere in southwestern Ontario, up, upstate New York, it's worth the drive. Come on up. I will be um, uh, hosting or emceeing a... Um, a reverse speech event, which includes a workshop in the morning, followed by 
a, a two-hour presentation from the man who discovered reverse speech. He's uh, now a regular. Uh, he joins us the second Sunday every month, uh, the, the first segment uh, of the show, to present some amazing mind-bending reversals. And uh, he has just landed this afternoon all the way from Australia. He is here in studio with me. Uh, David John Oates, welcome. Great to see you. Hey, great to see you too. Thank you for having me. And we also have Christian Dicadieu, the real John Constantine from crime scene, crime and trauma scene cleaners and paranormal contractors. Those who are familiar with my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, uh, will be, be very familiar with uh, Christian. And he, uh, together with David, are the co-hosts of an exciting new podcast called Reverse Speech Radio. Christian, welcome to you, sir. Thank you, Richard. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so Saturday, October twenty sixth, yes, forty Donlins Avenue. That's the Greek uh, Orthodox Church, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, just steps from the the Donlins Subway Station. So so very easy to get to. Uh, and you're kicking it off with a with a workshop from eleven to one. Yes, that is correct. Uh, David and I will be having a workshop for people that are interested in learning more about uh, reverse speech, and then the second portion will, in fact, be uh, hosted by yourself. And it's like a general conspiracy-based uh, uh, events with different types of reversals that uh, David has discovered and will be playing and presenting. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll look at some of the conspiracy topics, the uh, JFK assassination, 911, um, Robert yes. Kennedy assassination. We may even look at the moon landing. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the whole gamut. Okay, so and, and in the workshop, are you going to teach people how to identify reversals? How will that work? Uh, yes, I'll give a brief uh, lesson on that. Uh, there's uh, several points that we're, uh, several criteria that we've developed to recognise what is a genuine reversal as compared to coincidence or imagination. So I'll be covering that in the workshop: how to find the genuine reversals and recognise the difference. Do you need a special piece of equipment to take a piece of audio and flip it around so you have a reversal? Uh, well, yeah, you need software. Uh, we have software that we have ourselves. Uh, you can also get a good program called Goldwave that reverses. Uh, we also have our reverse speech app. You can download for um, iPhone or Android that runs forwards and backwards and variable speeds. So if uh, people want to learn how to do this... Uh, I mean, this is not just a party trick, uh, although, I mean, and it could also get you into some hot water with your significant other if you start, you know. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, were you last uh, night? <laughs> yes, I've got a couple of broken marriages to attest to that. I'll bet, I'll bet. Okay, so that's the workshop from uh-huh. 11 to 1, and then, David, you're going to take the stage from 2 to 4, uh-huh. and you're going to be playing uh, lots of reversals. Yes. And you brought some with you. Of course, yes, you I always have. have plenty. Yes, uh, yes. The first one we have here, uh, can we load this one up, uh, Owen, in the studio there? This is uh, Dick Cheney. Oh, yes. This is uh, this was recorded uh, four days after 911, okay? Uh-huh. And it has a very interesting uh, reversal that some of the conspiracy uh, people will quite like. So, All right. Uh, can we hear the forward speech? On the other hand, in terms of the sophistication of it, it's interesting to, to look at because clearly what happened is you you got uh, some people committed to uh, to die in the course of the operation. You got them visas. You got them entered to the United States. They came here, some of them enrolled in our commercial aviation schools and learned to fly. And uh, we have in uh, reverse the show with the Sultan guarded. See if you can hear this. Show with my ears open. I'll buy. Show with my ears open. Uh, the show by the Sultan. Guarded. Guarded. 
So th- that hints at some Arab involvement that he is protecting. Mm. And uh, we'll go into that a whole lot deeper at the uh, uh, workshop on Saturday. All right. Mm. Uh, let me see here. Now, this one says uh, Files 11. Oh, I'm yeah. not sure what that what that refers to. Okay, okay. This is a chap named James Files who oh, yes, uh, who claimed that uh, he was the uh, uh, shooter behind the grassy, grassy knoll. Yes, and this is an interview he did with the late Jim Jim Mars, mm-hmm. and uh, Jim's asking him, uh, did it, did any of the bullets hit the sign? Because apparently there was some bullet ho- holes in the sign. So right. just so just play it. All right. And, um, did you ever notice if uh, any of those rounds hit that sign? No. I do. I don't know if anybody else has stood or not. As far as I know, their rounds never hit it. I know my round didn't hit it. Like I say, I fired one shot. I was on target. Okay, so when he says I fired one shot, I was on target, one of the things we look for in reverse speech is, is it congruent? Is he saying the same thing forwards as he is saying backwards? Right. And we hear a reversal here that says, hit him with my round. Hit him with my round. Hit him with my round. Yeah, I can, I can yeah. hear that. Hit yeah. him with my round. So that that's would, a congruency. That's a congruent reversal, and it would suggest that he's telling the truth. And right. uh, he claims that JFK assassination was a mafia hit job. So we'll, we'll look at that a little bit deeper, too, on the weekend as well. And again, yeah. this is Saturday, October the 26th. That's coming up very mm-hmm. quickly at the uh, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlins Avenue. And again, it's so easy to get to. Just jump on the TTC and it's it's literally steps from the Donlin subway station. Right. You just get out of there, go up the stairs, and I think turn left and go north a few steps, and there That's it right. is. Yep. Yeah. And again, Christian, you're going to you're going to be running a workshop together with David from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And um, I mean, should people would it be handy if they downloaded the app before they arrived? Oh, sure, that would be a fantastic idea. Yeah, they can fiddle with it and play around with it, and then they may have some more questions to ask when they come to the workshop itself. All right. Uh, Let me see. Let me grab another one here quickly. Can we do the Justin Trudeau simply because tomorrow is the election? Or actually, today is the election. Oh, today's the election. Right. Yes, this is... uh, uh, Yeah, we'll just play it. He's talking talking to some protesters. Okay. Sorry. I, I know you have a voice. I've just heard it. I'm asking you, can I have permission to continue uh, in, my, in my town hall with Canadians who came out to meet with their Prime Minister? I'm not asking for consent. I'm asking for permission to continue without being interrupted. So he's getting a little bit upset there, isn't he? Yes, indeed. Here, let's play this one without saying. See if you can hear what, hear what he's saying. All right. No, okay. I'm an ass. Oh, I'm an ass. <laughs> so do it again. Do it Can again. Can we hear that one again? Do it again. I'm an ass. I'm an ass. So, <laughs> I'm an ass. I don't know anything about Canadian. I don't know anything about Canadian politics. <laughs> I have no preconceived notions. There, there it is. We should. Uh, hopefully, you're going to give equal time to all the federal leaders, so we'll hear some reversals from uh, <laughs> Andrew Shear and Jagmeet Singh and and uh, Elizabeth May. Uh, I mean, you could do an entire afternoon on that. Uh, oh, absolutely. Alone. Look, I've got 35 years of, re- of research in my computer. I can, I can, I, 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 I could do workshops. 
for months and months and months and still not cover all my material. Okay, right. so uh, one more time. Saturday, October the 26th. That's this coming Saturday. I'll be there. And uh, uh, Christian D. Cadir from Paranormal Contractors and Reverse Speech Radio, uh, 40 Donlins Avenue. Come meet the discoverer of Reverse Speech. He's flown in all the way from Australia for this exclusive event. And here's the thing. It's free. The it's price a, is right. It's a price is right. It's a free event. And uh, quickly, uh, tell us how to listen to Reverse Speech Radio. Well, you can listen to Reverse Speech Radio on the Libsyn platform, or you could simply go to reversespeech.ca and click on the link that has the picture of the radio there, and it will take you to the uh, the podcast and all the d- available downloads there. Reversespeechradio.libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. Reversespeechradio.libsyn.com. New episodes drop every Thursday. Absolutely. That is correct. All right. I'll see you gentlemen on Saturday. Christian? Yep. And this is for you. Oh. It is a gift from David and I. Oh, my gosh. Because uh, you are like the paranormal Superman. By day, you're Clark Kent. And by <laughs> night, you're defending justice and on the Crusades. So it's... Uh, it's a very nice... Well, uh, God bless you for that. Thank you. Nice we'll open it up in the, uh, after the show. All right, you gentlemen, bet. we'll see you Saturday. Thank you for this. Thank okay. My so thanks much. to uh, Owen. Uh, back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.